welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate, Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Jordan McFarlane and joining me today are Chris Doyle and Gaby Mackay. Hello. Hello. On the pod today, we're going to look back at Scotland's defeat against Belgium. Three goals to nil over there in Brussels. We're going to look at Stevie Clark's selection and we're going to look at the performances in the game. We're also going to talk about the Champions League changes or the potential Champions League changes that are coming down and could affect Scotland's champions in the years to come. Okay, guys, we'll look back now over this Scotland game. Gaby, you looked rather, um, what's the word, contorted, pained, upset throughout the 90 minutes last night. That fair to say you struggled through it a little bit? I think I struggled through it in much the way that the team struggled through it. To be fair, I think they did about as well as could be expected, given that Belgium are just much better at playing football than we are. Uh, Johnny's just opening a wee drink there. Um, the iron brew. <laughs> patriotic Johnny there. Uh, yeah, so I think, yes, I, I was a bit uh, contorted with some of the some of the passing and some of the, the mis- sort of mistakes that were made. But as I said, Belgium are just a far better team. Stop pussyfooting around. Name names. Ollie Burke was getting in the neck. Big style from you last night here at Football Football Scotland Towers, Gaby. Let's tell us what 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 was it about Ollie Burke that was winding you up so? I feel like we always slag off Ollie Burke on this podcast, and I feel a little bit bad about it. But yeah, last night, okay, so he's playing up front, he's on his own. He's big, he's strong, he's quite. We all know this. He didn't hold the ball up, and he didn't run the channels. So I don't know what he's there to do. He was really wasteful. Whenever we had a chance to break, he would just lose the ball. His passing was dreadful. We saw that horrible miss at the end where he combined with Forrest and McKenna, where he just sort of fell over the ball a little bit he's not a footballer the guy is not a footballer he's an athlete he's not a footballer he was dreadful uh you'd have been as well having i mean anyone else up front the guy he's not a focal point well, he had and he's anyone not- else up front we had Eamon Brophy in the last game and he was completely anonymous at least you saw Ollie Burke up there at least he was visible yeah. Brophy just disappeared yeah well that was because he was playing he's a smaller guy playing up against three big centre-backs but at least Eamon Brophy's an actual footballer Gabriel yeah, always find an excuse to defend Kilmarnock players. Exactly. Chris, defend Ollie Burke. Well, first of all, Brophy was playing Cyprus, Burke playing Belgium. So there, case closed. No. <laughs> and the um, case rests. <laughs> no, um, yeah, Burke was feeding off scraps the whole night. I mean, I definitely I agree with Gabe's points. Didn't have his best performance, but do you think it's a bit unfair to kind of criticise him and maybe like well, yeah, you shouldn't play, get a chance next game or whatever under Clark. Because With two chances in the game, both of which he muffed up. One of them he, first, scuffed, one the, of them he the, scuffed wide in the, the first half. Okay, the second one was more James Forrest's fault. The second one was definitely Forrest. He should have just, sh- just shot the yeah, first time. Yeah, but Burke time. Was, inv- he was an accomplice. Yeah, but Burke thought the Forrest was going to shoot, obviously. We all would. thought Forrest was going to shoot. And then Burke would then t- kind of got in the way, but it wasn't really his fault because he just thought like it was an open goal. But, uh, what do you mean? Forrest it wasn't his fault. Shoot. He fell over the ball. It was a bit of an embarrassing stramash. Well, the whole, the whole incident sort of summed up Scotland in a way. Not not just last night, but just generally over the last 20 or, 20 or so years. But let's break it apart, right? Before the start of the game, I got a text at about 6 o'clock telling me that the lineup was going to be a bit wacky. We discussed it myself and Gaby because we were on, and we thought, nah, they, there's no way there's going to be that amount of changes in the game. And then pretty much the team came down, and we looked at it and thought, wow, <laughs> wow. What, what is going on here? So let's start off. David Marshall played very well last night, probably deserving of his place in the team, so we'll move past him. You've got pretty much the Kilmarnock fullbacks going up against Hazard and De Bruyne. 
Taylor and Sod, Stephen O'Donnell. But you know what? They were far from the problem last night. And actually, they vindicated their selection, didn't they, didn't they Gaby? Yeah, I thought they absolutely did. I thought O'Donnell, in particular, is much maligned by Scotland fans. He seems to have replaced uh, Barry Bannon and Stephen Fletcher as being the maligned player in the team. But I, I thought he did fine last night. And Taylor, you know, coming in for his international debut at the age of 22 against Hazard and De Bruyne because they were swapping swapping wings about. I thought he did well. I mean, he had a few he had a few poor passes. It's a few times where he sort of looked, looked in danger of getting caught in possession, but you've got to understand that. He's stepping up to a much higher level. As I said, it was his international debut. Okay, he doesn't offer as much as Robertson going forward. Uh, he doesn't cross as well. You know, uh, Taylor's not as swift. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, but I thought he defended really well. He had a great tackle on Hazard in the second half. And yeah, if you're looking at for problems in that Scotland team, it would be easy. I mean, I know Johnny said I'll do anything to defend Kilmarnock players, but it would be easy to point out, well, there's the two Kilmarnock fullbacks, but they certainly weren't the problem last night, I didn't think. No, and there was, a, there was a level of sort of social media um, snobbiness about the fact that it was those two going up against such world-class talent. Um, moving at the cent- central areas, mm-hmm. uh, Mulgrew and McKenna is a combination, I think, slightly worrying. I'll tell you why. I think um, Ke- McKenna is a very good defender, siege defender, so a game like last night should be his bread and butter. To be fair, I think two goals he got beaten by Lukaku but Lukaku is a hundred million pound player so you yeah. can probably give him the benefit of the bout generally I don't think he was that troubled um, but both left footed um, McKenna doesn't look that strong on the ball he's playing for an Aberdeen team where the ball is effectively like a bomb you just get rid of it as soon as you get it um, do you think it's a little bit unbalanced the two left footed players there? I'd like to see one of them with Suter and depending on the game so if it's an easier game you play Mulgrew and Suter if it's one of the tougher games, you play Suter and McKenna. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, McKenna, like, he is a great defender, but I think his worrying has kind of lack of distribution. And really, a game against uh, Belgium is where, you know, you need to be, kind of have that high level because you're not, you're not seeing much of the ball. So for him to basically kind of, you know, if he gets back possession, he just basically, so many times he just kind of biffed up the other end of the park to no one. Um, so, I mean, that's what the type of stuff that Burke was feeding off of. And so, yeah, Suter coming in, I think, slightly a bit better on the ball. But I wouldn't necessarily drop McKenna for if it was going to be Mulgrew. Um, I just think that hopefully this that's type that's something that McKenna will add to his game. And hopefully maybe Clark will help him. Or it might not happen to Aberdeen, but you'd imagine that he might move on eventually. So I would just, yeah, I would just go with Suter and, and McKenna because they they're the two for the future, they not. I I think they so just get them into get them to end. They'll get used to playing playing beside each other, and yeah, they're probably a better sort of balance compared to um, with Milgrew in there and McKenna. So yeah, I'd say that uh, Suter has to see some game time in the next sort of qualifiers or the break. Gaby, I apologise to Aberdeen fans listening to this in advance, but because they will want. Scott McKenna to stay at Aberdeen for as long as possible but as his performances for Scotland not indicative of the fact that he does need to move away to a club that's going to develop him more as a player because the tools are there he's got the pace he's got the power he's got the size but playing under Derek McInnes in that style of play that Aberdeen have adopted that's not going to really take him to where he needs to go as a player is it? No, I don't think so. I mean, you look last night, the amount of times, the amount of times he gave away simple passes when, he, you know, he'd have a simple pass on to his right or his left and he'd try and play one upfield and give it away. And I think that's a function of what he's been asked to do at Aberdeen. And it's very effective, so don't, don't get me wrong, but 
it's very much, you know, the defenders defend, none of this kind of playing with the ball, you know, don't do anything silly, Aberdeen solid, hard to beat, uh, physical. And McKenna's good at that. I mean, you think the first half uh, before the goal, he, he was actually really good when Belgium was swinging balls into the box. He was, and he, he had a great block from a shot outside the box. He's good at that stuff. It's the bit where the, it's the bit with the actual playing with the ball on the deck he's not so good at. Um, although if we're talking about uh, having left-footed centre-backs, just get another Kelly man in there. Get, get Stuart Finlay in there. <laughs> Play the tight there. <laughs> we called for Scott McTominay, or a lot of us did on social media before the game, and he was in there. Um, perhaps a few people probably quite surprised that alongside him was Kenny McLean again, someone that Steve Clark clearly rates. And Kenny McLean, probably the best midfielder, Chris. Yeah, I, I rate him as well. Um, I'm really glad he he's kind of got in ahead of Stuart Armstrong because although Armstrong you could argue like yeah he's a better player McLean's had a better season so he I think he deserves to go in instead of him um, but to be fair on that McLean's playing in the championship yeah, Armstrong's but, playing in the Premier League yeah I know but he's had more playing time um, and at the end of last the end of last season I mean Armstrong when the new Southampton manager came in he's hardly played him so I think at the end of the day you've got to go with kind of form with when you're getting picture of national sides and McLean um, was a really integral part of Norwich getting up to the Premier League and I'm sure he will be next season so yeah I'm, I'm, he was one of I'd say he probably was the Scotland's man in the match yeah I think I owe him an apology because I was sort of vaguely slagging him off on Monday saying I don't know what he does but uh, uh, I, I saw what he did last <laughs> well, night where he was he was, he was was very very good last night I'm, so yeah. uh, Kenny Mr Mayor of Norwich if you're listening <laughs> I apologise Bo- bottle of yeah. 2020 Mad Dog is on its way from the Football <laughs> Scotland offices no, I've, I've always rated him like even at, at like um, the time at Aberdeen I thought he was just he kind of chips in with goals he's kind of just kind of just doesn't have many weaknesses to, uh, to his game can just uh, sort of like an all-rounder um, perfect guy to have to, in a away performance so, um, especially against Belgium so yeah I think he had a really good um, good performance and hopefully one he can build on it's um, quite interesting to see him as a dogged tackling midfielder he's become like Graham Shinney yeah. in his year down south uh, when he was <laughs> up here in Scotland he was creative uh, skillful goal scoring it just goes to show you the differences in the two styles of football Scotland versus England even at the championship level yeah, yeah. absolutely I mean I think you, you've seen a lot of that uh, you, I'd imagine Shinny who is obviously a destructive player here I'd imagine he'll be even more so when he goes down to Derby uh, you can probably see it uh, the opposite way you know Yusuf Malumbu when he was in England was very much a sort of destructive defensive midfielder whereas he comes up here and he looks like Pirlo do you know what I mean so I think uh, I think there is certainly there is certainly that difference and yeah McLean I thought I thought he was great last night um, he broke up yeah. the play really well kept things simple didn't do anything stupid I thought McTominay played well as well actually aside from unfortunately he had a real major lapse in concentration for the goal where he sort of left it to go out. Talk us through that, yeah, because that was it was a bizarre moment, wasn't it? Yeah. So so basically the ball the ball comes over and McTominay gets back, he makes a great tackle on Hazard and the ball appears to be going out and he sort of just shuffles back into position as if he's gonna defend the corner. Now, it'll be a learning curve for him. I mean I know he plays for Manchester United. Against most players you'd probably get away with that. Against Aiden Hazard, you're not getting away with that. He sprints over, he stops it before it's going out and because everyone's switched off waiting for the corner, he's got Ages to pick out Lukaku. If you get Hazard picking out Lukaku with all the time and space in the world, it's going to be a goal. Lukaku gets up above McKenna, scores, and you know it's just before half time. It's a real killer. Um, Scotland defended quite well, very, very deep, almost in France, but very deep defending. 
But if we'd have got to half time, you know, you get in there, you can say, look, keep doing the same thing. You can maybe hope to even snatch a goal on the break. But once that goal went in, I think it was just never going to be any way back. Well, I mean, I, I think the the overall performance was, for some reason, I'm actually quite positive about it in terms of Scotland. They didn't really, they just, they weren't playing their best players and they didn't really collapse. You know, they, they kind of held their own um, against arguably the best team in the world right now. So... I think there is there's some good performances but I think overall they just look more solid and against yeah a great team so I think the only positives you can take from it there was so much criticism of that starting lineup was there a sense that because Scotland played so well defensively in that first half were undone by a really really stupid moment an individual error that Stevie Clark in a way was kind of vindicated definitely um I think he Either he wanted to just swap about because obviously, um, you know, tired legs end of the season. He wanted to give some of his other players a chance, and or maybe he just thought like, you know, maybe it's a game they were going to lose anyway. So just throw them in, and see what what they can give him. Um, but yeah, a lot of us were fe- fearing the worst time we've seen the lineup, but actually it didn't turn out that way in terms of the overall performance. Yeah, actually, I have to say that Callum McGregor, who would be definitely one of the uh, the starters going in. Uh, in Scotland obviously and Celtic team uh, he could just look like a player who had played his 69th game he just didn't look the same player very sort of legged and don't know it just wasn't really the same influence as you would see you know giving the ball away and actually he's probably one of the players that could have done with a rest last night instead of maybe the other ones that he dropped I thought it was interesting that uh, you know you say tips about players being tired but I thought it was interesting he didn't play Forrest and I think that's because he doesn't really do the defensive work that you'd expect from him. And I think it's probably not a coincidence that O'Donnell probably had one of his better games in a Scotland shot when he had Russell ahead of him, who will mm-hmm. get back and help him with the defence, which Forrest just doesn't do. And I think that's a real reason that Forrest uh, didn't start, is because he he's great going forward. Although uh, I wish he'd shoot when he had the ball. But uh, he doesn't do the defensive work. And I think that was a big reason why he didn't play, certainly. Yeah. Me, I've, got, I've got an underdeveloped theory about um, Callum McGregor, which is that he looks very, very good in a good side. A side that's dominating the play. A side where he's got superior players around him. Can he be an influence where he's a, a big fish in a small pond? Like he is in Scotland. Is he the kind of player that is going to be part of a dogged defensive unit. I have my reservations. I'm not sure last night would be the best way to test your underdeveloped theory because I think Scotland were just up against a far, far better team. They're better players in Scotland in every position and it's not just McGregor who would struggle to cope in that situation. It's it's a, it's a valid question, I think. Um, Steve Clark obviously, is the system above all. So if there's anyone that you'd think could get him to sort of play as part of a defensive system it'd be Clark and if he can't get him to do that you'd imagine he won't play much but I'm not sure last night would be the best test case for it because let's face it Belgium are just a far far better side than Scotland are yeah I think you will with McGregor I mean end of the day this campaign Scotland need to beat the the teams you know it's not the games against Belgium they need to beat the teams that are their level you know they're expected to be at home you know no draws against Lithuania like in previous uh, campaigns or indeed 3-0 defeats to Kazakhstan that as well I mean so yeah so the thing is I think McGregor is I think when he's at his best like say if Scotland have more possession like you can see a Celtic he when Celtic are at their best it's actually McGregor who's usually the one pulling the strings dictating the play so I think he has to be a part of Clark's plans going forward but 
yeah, maybe he's not shown it in a Scotland shirt yet, but hopefully, uh, I think he's hopefully Clark can bring that out of him. I just think sometimes in the in the big games where space is tight, he can look a little bit lightweight when he's played really centrally. And last night he was essentially part of a, a four, a midfield four, rather than the sort of uh, four two three one that was banded about before kickoff. Um, so I wonder. I think it's going to be really interesting, as you say, how Steve Clark's going to. Mm-hmm use his quality and build that into the side as you say system is all with Clark um, so if there's anyone that can do it it'll be him looking ahead to the games against Russia and Belgium both home games in September Chris these are obviously the key ties in this group Scotland go into the Russia game they win that everything's back on because they've effectively they've won back the points they lost against Kazakhstan against their nearest what should be their nearest rival for second place and then it sets up a tie against Belgium, and we see Belgium's quality, but if you can get a point at Hamden, if you could possibly do that, then all of a sudden, the campaign is cooking again, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, four points out of six would be, I guess, the ideal kind of situation. Um, maybe we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but I think you have to be positive about, especially, like, yeah, I know the game against Cyprus wasn't, like, the, maybe the scoreline people wanted to see, but... I mean, overall, it's his first two games, and you're, I think you're only going to see a sort of a better squad, a better performance when we go into those two games. And there's no doubt that if we play our best, we can definitely get a win at home against Russia. Um, I don't think they're that great as they um, They're not what they were back in the day when they had our Shavin and players like no, that. No, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's good that that one's the first one, I'd say, of the two, because then you can hopefully get a win there and then like there isn't as much pressure going into the Belgium game and hopefully they can sort of relax and then you never know what you can steal there. So, yeah, I'm still pretty hopeful that they can turn it around, but it is an uphill challenge because of what happened to Kazakhstan. You know, there's no doubt about that. Gabe, you're a miserable Ayrshireman. Are we being hopelessly optimistic and ridiculous? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Russia at home, could you maybe get a win from that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scotland are not going to beat Belgium at home they've struggled to get a point even if you took four points from those games you've still got to go to Russia and as the Nazis will tell you Russia's a tough place to go <laughs> um, you've got you've got to go got to go there and try and get a result which isn't going to happen look the Kazakhstan game basically scuppered the chances of qualifying from the qualifiers right away this campaign is just all about getting ready for the Nations League playoffs through which we can also qualify for Euro 2020 so it's about putting in good performances in the next two home games trying to you know trying to get the best results you possibly can but there's no chance we're getting through but there's no chance we're finishing second in that group Russia will finish second and it's all about the playoffs. Chris looking ahead to those games who are the players that can come back into this side we know we had a lot of injuries you've got to assume that someone like Ryan Fraser at home if he's fit is going to start you've got to assume that Kieran Tierney is going to be back in contention by that point we certainly hope so Andy Robertson is there anyone else that you think is missing from that lineup? For me, the one name that sticks out, the one player that we need as a striker, and the one guy that gives me a bit of optimism if he's in the team is Lee Griffiths. If he can get himself back sharp and fit and healthy, then surely he would be a huge, huge plus for Scotland. Yeah, I mean, Scotland need him back more than Celtic too, in reality. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be difficult. I don't really see it happening. Um, Obviously, he, may, he might get called up the squad, but he, is he going to be playing for Celtic at that point? You know, like it's a long time he's been out. I know. Yeah, you could. I just don't think you can expect it to be like sort of the results for him, like 
get his form back like instantly. I think it may be that maybe maybe a bit too soon. Maybe you're looking at sort of the fixtures, maybe the turn of the sort of after a new year or whatever. They may come back into plans, but I just I'm not sure. I think the guy we need back, Stephen Fletcher. I don't think Lee Griffiths can cut it international level. He scored three goals, two of which were some set pieces against England, which was well, it was a great five minutes, but he was rotten in that game. He's not impressed for Scotland ever. He's well, okay, so I know he scored the game after that. I don't think his skill set is suited to playing for Scotland at international level where we're going to be on the back foot a lot. We're not going to have much of the ball. I think the guy we need back is Stephen Fletcher. He's a, someone who can hold the ball up, who can bring players like Forrest and Fraser and Armstrong, even attacking players into play. I, I'd rather see Fletcher back in than. Uh, is there not some to buy it about whether or not Fletcher actually wants to play for his country yes, anymore? Yes, there, there, there is that, and Clark has said basically that he's not going to go chasing anyone. So yeah, and I, I understand if if he's not committed, why Clark wouldn't want to pick him. I'm just talking purely on the skill sets of the two players. Listen, I, I think Gabe's got a decent point mm-hmm. there. And yep. actually, Stephen Fletcher, when he came back in and played those two games under Alex McLeish, you were like, wow, wow, How, why is this guy actually dropped out? As you mentioned earlier, he has been a bit of a whipping boy for the Tartan Army at times, but he looked in very, very good physical condition and he brought that hold-up play to Scotland. Why did he come back for those two games under Alex McLeish if he didn't want or didn't have a desire to play for Scotland? It seems like an odd situation. Yeah, I mean, it must have been... McLeish must have sort of... I just said Clark's not going to go chasing, but maybe McLeish did as to make a point of asking him back and that's why, you know? So, I mean... Maybe he doesn't have that burning desire, but I mean, maybe with only being sort of Scotland being very short up up top anyway, maybe Clark should uh, make the, um, yeah go ask um, sorry Fletcher to come back into it because he can definitely his hold up play will definitely bring the best out of uh, Fraser and Forrest in the wings and at the end of the day, yeah, it's McNulty, Brophy, Griffiths not fit. You know he could do a job, and you just I think you would. Um, it might be up to Clark to go get, to go get him though, instead of the other way about. Looking at the situation, any other players, Gabe, that, that uh, tickle your fancy that are coming back? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. I know some people, some Rangers fans, think Ryan Jack should be in the squad. As we've discussed before, I'm not don't particularly think Ryan Jack's a top level player. Uh, Nah, there's not really anyone I can think of right off the top of my head right now who should be. I mean, McGregor is obviously a good goalkeeper, but I don't think he's going to be coming back. So. No. Well, I'm in, I'm interested to see how they integrate Tierney though, because obviously there was success that Strachan had him, um, in the right back. Then McLeish tried the almost the free the back two wing backs. They had Tierney left centre back, Robertson left back. Can't mean what game it was, but that was just a disaster. So you would imagine that he doesn't want to move Robertson. So O'Donnell being there, he has played well, but I mean, Tierney's a a much better player. You need to be playing your best players. So you'd imagine. That will happen. I don't think you can really accommodate both Robertson and Tierney in the left, though. What do you think, Gaby? How does how does Steve Clark, a man you know well, get Kieran Tierney into the Scotland team? It's a difficult one. I think McLeish obviously tried to do it by sort of playing a three-five-two with Tierney at left centre back and Robertson at left wing back, which on paper looked like a good idea. I mean, when he sort of adopted that system, I kind of thought, yeah, no, that's a good good way of getting two of our best players in. It's fair to say it didn't really work. Uh, Clark's said that he'd be open to playing a back three but he preferred to play a back four so I think it's a really difficult one because I don't think you want to play Tierney at, at centre back if, if it's part of a two centre backs rather than three so I think basically at the moment it'll be Robertson's shot to lose and Tierney will just have to try and uh, stick in there and try and displace him from the team I guess One word Chris 
Tierney or Robertson? You have to pick one left back. Who'd you pick? Robertson. Robertson. Robertson here as well. So um, there isn't a choice really at that left back position. Um, it's more about where I suppose uh, Clark is going to fit Kieran Tierney if he does uh, get him back fit and into the side. Right, we're going to move on now to some changes that may be occurring to the Champions League. There's a group of clubs um, that are suggesting that UEFA move to a 48-team competition. There's eight groups, each with six teams. There would be an easier passage for clubs like Celtic, clubs like Ajax, champions of uh, smaller nations, into that competition. Gaby, we've, we've talked a lot about the kind of changes that are afoot in the Champions League. There seems to be a drive towards um, the big clubs having a real firm grip on these places. So it's, you know, clubs like Milan against uh, Manchester United. Is this going to kill the spirit of European football? I think it depends what you want from the Champions League. Do you want representation from as many countries as possible or do you want the best teams playing each other? Because there's no question that if you want the best teams playing each other, then you would take more teams from England, Germany, Spain and Italy than you would from Scotland. Now, you could argue that for a team to finish fourth in the Premier League or Serie A is more difficult than it is for Celtic to win the Premiership, which is why Celtic have to go through more qualifying rounds. You only have to look at Liverpool finished fourth in the Premiership, Premier League sorry, last year and they won the Champions League. Celtic, as we've seen... second. No, I mean, no, the season to qualify for... Ah, yes, sorry. sorry. 2017-18, they finished fourth to qualify for the Champions League, which they then won, is what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, whereas you see Celtic when they've been in the group stage in recent seasons they've been absolutely destroyed by PSG Barcelona Bayern Munich so we saw EA Athens who knocked Celtic out were I don't think they won a game no they only scored a goal yeah exactly so the, the question comes down to whether you want the best teams playing each other or you want the most representation possible. Of course, the, the real sort of elephant in the room, particularly for English journalists, is the, re- the reason for this move is because of the financial power of the Premier League. The huge TV deal that they have there means that, you know, huge teams from other countries who don't have that kind of resource are looking for ways to try and sort of get in on that TV money thing. And the way they think that they can do that is if you have Juventus, Real Madrid more often or... Barcelona PSG more often or you know whatever whatever it may be which is why you know the English clubs have been uh, stood against the sort of original plan that was put forward because they don't need it whereas this and the smaller clubs don't want it because you can see why they wouldn't want it whereas you know your Juventus your Bayern Munich your Barcelona your Real Madrid they want basically a slice of that TV money that the Premier League's got. Chris are we heading towards eventually an NFL style league for football? where there's a breakaway of the very top clubs, this continuing brutal polarisation of the very, very super rich and the rest continues. And we have a league that is completely separate to, to all the current uh, league setups of just the top top teams. There's no relegation, no, um, no new teams coming in. It is essentially a closed group. Is that what we're heading towards? It feels like it. No, I don't think so. Um... I don't think they would like there was obviously the talk about that sort of the Champions League with the promotion and relegation but you've seen the everyone was completely against it um, in terms of the feedback it got but these new changes um, I, I do have reservations about them increasing the teams because uh, that would just is that not just going to 
kind of dilute the quality of the competition. You do want to see if a Celtic or Ajax, and there's a lot of other teams, you don't want you do want to see them have sort of a less strenuous path to get if, to get to the Champions League. Like four qualifiers is too much, but then at the same time, I don't think really increasing the amount of teams in the competition is the way to go about it because then teams are just getting I mean, there. There's a lot of teams in the group stage already who are basically yeah, cannon so, fodder. Exactly. So you add more. That's I think Champions League is then nobody's even going to tune into the group stages. You, you no, just basically, know there's you, not going to be any upsets in terms of like who's maybe going to get through into the the. The knockout stages, you know the two that will get there, or if it's well, well if it's, it's groups of six, then presuming maybe three or four would go through. Uh, but then you're just going to know who's going to get those spots, and it's not going to be good for the competition like going forward. It's all about money, though, isn't it? It's six teams, therefore it's more games, therefore it's more money, bigger pots. Teams like Juventus, as you say, know that those extra games will help them compete against the English teams. The teams that they're competing against for players, not even necessarily Liverpool and Manchester United and teams like that, because Juventus might think, well, they've gone because they've got all what we have, plus they have the, the riches of the Premier League. But they might be thinking along the lines of it's the rest of the Premier League that we're competing against for players that have this big advantage. The, the likes of Bournemouth, the likes of uh, West Ham, who have phenomenal resources. Yeah, I think the bottom team in the Premier League gets the same or slightly more in television money than Juventus do in Serie A. So you can see... <laughs> now, I'm not... Um, I think this sort of Super League non-relegation thing, I think it's a terrible idea. I'm just trying to put forward the, the rationale why these clubs would do, want Do you think it. it's coming, Gaby? I think it's, I think it's essentially inevitable. I think that's just the, the way capitalism works, isn't it? The people accumulate more and more money. They'll close it off. You know, I think for club owners... I'm sure they, you know, for fans, we obviously can't conceive of football without promotion, relegation and meritocracy. But if you're an investor and you're trying to make money, why why would you want the uncertainty of not being in the Champions League and having your revenue cut? That's that's a nightmare if you're trying to make money, which is so, it makes perfect sense why these uh, venture capitalists and oligarchs, they don't want that. They want, they want a closed shop because that, that's, that will guarantee them, that will make them a guaranteed income. Listen, we're going to have to, it's a fascinating topic and we can go into it in great detail, but we're running out of time now. So that's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow before 4pm, just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable. You can get more from us at Football Scotland website or on our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter at football underscore Scott. To ask a question or make a comment to us individually, you can give me pelters on at Johnny R. McFarlane. You can speak to Chris Doyle at... Bye, Chris Doyle. And you can speak to Gaby Mackay at Gaby Mackay. Until tomorrow, cheers for listening.